Welcome to The Difference with Dan O'Donnell and Dave Spano. I'm Dan O'Donnell. He's Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. And really, the difference that we're talking about today is the difference that times of war internationally mean for your money versus times of peace. Of course, Everyone in the entire world is focused on Ukraine right now. The Russians invaded, but we didn't really see the sort of economic tsunami, at least initially, as a result of the Russian invasion that we might have thought. Now, there are heavy sanctions being pushed on the Russian government as a result of this invasion. And the operative question that we know you folks have, and we do too as investors ourselves, is what impact is this going to have on personal individual investments? Dave, the, the question you should always be asking yourself as an investor as you're watching global events is, is always essentially, how does this affect my investments, right? Yeah, that's right. And what you're talking about here is something that could go from, you think, you know, why is Ukraine going to affect me? But you can see what's happening. So these sanctions, of course, are having a dramatic effect so far on the Russian ruble, for example. The ruble's down 40 or 50 percent, and that's, of course, their currency. But then you think about what else could happen, and there's this thing called the Nord Stream too, we've talked about, which is the pipeline coming out of Russia through Ukraine all the way to Germany. Now, Germany says they're going to not allow that to go through. But right now, Russia provides 50% of the natural gas that goes to Germany and 30% of their oil. So, you know, they're all in on this. The Germans certainly are going to feel this, Dan. And does that mean that Germany, for example, goes into a recession, or are they already in a recession, and does it begin to become a domino effect in Europe? And that, I think, is a question that we have about the American energy sector as well, because I believe we import 600-some thousand barrels of Russian oil per day, and it's almost by necessity that we're going to see oil prices go up. And you might say, okay, well, I'm not invested in oil futures. What do I really care? I'm not a big commodities investor. You know, does this affect me? But the price of oil, not just in Germany, which is probably going to take the biggest hit from this, I absolutely agree. But here in the United States, if the price of gas goes up, that influences both corporate and individual behavior. That has a dramatic impact, almost more than just about anything else short of interest rates on what people and companies do. Yeah, so let's think about the first part, which, of course, if oil prices go up, that is inflationary. And, of course, we're going to come back to that, but that is inflationary in by its own definition. And so if oil prices go up, and, of course, they, if, for example, you know, at this point, Dan, we have not cut off that oil supply. We've hit, we've hit them hard in lots of manners with our sanctions, but we haven't cut off oil just yet. And, you know, it does supply some oil to the United States, which is obviously shocking. And you and I can get down uh, a conversation about what can happen with the energy sector here in the United States. But how it does affect people is it's one of the sectors of the S&P 500. And energy has obviously been doing very, very well because oil stocks have done very well. And that sector is is acting the best, where, for example, dis discretionary stocks are not doing well. So it affects, you know, Mrs. Kuskovavit's 401k plan because her, she's invested in the S&P 500, and those stocks are going up. So there is a way that they can benefit, that investors can benefit by those sectors. But let's go back to the real question, which is, does this exasperate inflation? And it has to. 
And if inflation continues to go up, what can the Federal Reserve do about it? Well, next month in March, of course, they have a meeting. We likely think they're going to raise interest rates, short-term interest rates, by 25 basis points. Here is the real conundrum that they are in, Dan. If they, they, the Federal Reserve controls the short end of the, of the yield curve, three months and six months and nine months and so forth, they don't control the longer-term rates. And so if long-term rates stay low like they are right now and short-term rates rise and actually get above long-term rates, that's called an inverted yield curve, and that has been a harbinger for a recession here in our country. So we need to pay attention to what the Federal Reserve is going to do going forward. I know you don't like to make these sorts of predictions, but it almost seems as though, I mean, we've essentially had, since the Great Recession of 2008-2009, we've had more than a decade of almost nonstop growth, with the exception, of course, of the recession that was caused by COVID-19, which is such a black swan event. You, you, You can't take it out of the equation, but you know what I'm saying. For the purposes of you know, judging the overall health of an economy. I mean, nobody could have predicted that not only are we going to get a disease, we're going to shut down the entire economy for a period of several months and that there would still be uh, some people two years later who are in the shutdown, lockdown lifestyle. But we've had almost a decade plus of uninterrupted growth. It's not as though we're due for a recession per se, but there are a lot of people who think that a correction is almost inevitable given the fact that you're seeing companies that that people are investing in that aren't posting a whole lot of earnings that are still just having these massive valuations. I, I mean, am I wrong here that we're we're sort of headed, I don't want to call it a bubble. I, you know, you never want to use the B word, right? But it almost seems like we're due for a bit of a correction. Yeah, so there's there's so much to unpack there. So we talked about uh, correction. A correction is peak to trough uh, reduction in prices by 10%. And a bear market is one that goes from peak to trough 20%. And so, you know, there are parts of the economy that are in a correction right now. Small caps, uh, some tech stocks, obviously the triple Qs, which is NASDAQ, they went into correction territory already. And correction ter- and corrections, by the way, Dan, happen on average every 11 months. So ha- a correction is not that unusual. And that's, that's number one. Number two is we talked about a recession. Recession is back-to-back quarters of negative GDP. That's that's hard to fathom where we sit today because of what we're seeing with GDP, just blowout numbers. I mean, you can travel around the United States and you can see what's happening. Now, when we come out fully out of COVID, you know, you, you mentioned that the masks are starting to go away, even though uh, two years later, obviously, some parts of your listenership doesn't even know that there was a mask mandate. But there, all of this goes away. Demand is going to peak in some places. So all of this together means demand is good, but what comes down the road? Inflation slows the economy. So this is a concern. So now you have high inflation, but a slowing or stagnant economy. That definition is stagflation. I don't know that we're going to get there, but that is a bad environment for lots of folks when GDP isn't growing and inflation is there. The last piece that you mentioned was, of course, companies that may be uh, participating, their growth may be going on. There is this thing called the uh, the fake monetary theory, which means that 
inflation is just pushing up prices. If you go back to stagflation back, Dan, uh, you know, back in the 1970s, Ford, for example, they had their earnings go up through the rough. But if you backed out inflation, they were flat and sometimes even negative. So this higher inflation could push a lot of prices up, despite the fact that they're not earning a lot of money. Which, of course, brings us back to the Federal Reserve. If all of a sudden money is tougher to come by and all of a sudden interest rates start going up, people start getting maybe a better return on some non-market investments, whereas the stock market, I mean, my goodness, I, I, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have, looked at the rate of return for just a standard savings account or a money market or a CD or anything, it, it it's non-existent. Well, and then you talk, yeah, but then the other thing, but you talked about, Dan, you talked about non Securities, well, real estate, for example. Uh, you know, I know that uh, you have relationships down in Southwest Florida. That was it's, prices are up thirty-five percent, and and that's in general across the market. The hot properties are up a hundred percent. Well, that is just crazy talk, but that is what's happening. So some people made money in what's called risk assets. There are securities, but then there's real estate, right? So they folks have made money in that space already. That is something that we have to pay attention to. And the reason why is because if prices run up that quick, will there be a retraction? And those retractions have happened. They happened in 07 and 08 and 09, and they happened again in 01, if you think over the last two decades or so. So we have to be on the lookout that the Fed does not make a policy mistake. And you can argue that they have been connected to every single recession back to 1929. And so we have to watch what they do. You know, we talked about, we had, uh, we talked to a Federal Reserve, uh, a local Federal Reserve president, and they, they have said, even Jerome Powell said, we didn't see inflation coming. Well, holy cow, when you increase the money supply by 35% over the history of the country, you increase the money supply by 35%, what do you think is going to happen? That's inflationary by definition. I'm kind of curious, how did the Fed contribute to the Great Depression in 1929, the, the market crash then? Well, it's because what was happening is the debt. I mean, anytime that you look at uh, the, the crashes back over, over the years, they have either raised interest rates or there was too much debt. In 1929, there was too much debt. Back then, you could borrow up to 90% leverage. Now there's these rules, margin rules, it's 50%, but that's still 50% that you can use. So if you change margin requirements, that is one thing that that's happens, and that could slow down the economy. The Fed clearly could make a policy mistake and raise interest rates too fast or be too aggressive while the economy is slowing down. When, when in bad times like this, people sell stocks and they run to safety. What's safety? A 10-year treasury. So when they buy that 10-year treasury, the interest rate actually goes down because the demand is less. So there could be an inverted yield curve. And the Federal Reserve already knows this. They're really smart folks, I think. And so they will, will have to make sure that they don't invert this yield curve. While And so that means, Dan, that inflation might be with us for longer than we expect. I noticed that caveat, I think, <laughs> when you said the Federal Reserve, they're smart. But you're right. They are in such a precarious position because inflation is here. And whatever policy they enact to try to keep it in check has the potential to slow down the economy so much, to slow down economic activity so much that we do exacerbate a stagflation problem. So as we're looking at these sort of incremental rate 
increases, do you think there's going to be a panic response where people are suddenly uh, fleeing the market and trying to get into the 10-year treasuries or trying to get into a safer haven or something like that, and then it sort of cascades on itself? Or how do you sort of see that playing out as we get beyond the Fed's meeting next month? Yeah, I just disagree with some of the big New York investment houses who are talking about seven, eight, nine rate increases. I, I mean, I just personally don't see that. Uh, but we'll have to we'll have to see. I think a quarter point uh, in March and maybe April and even May. But then they're going to have to take a look at it. And here, here is an issue. In, and this is right in your in your wheelhouse. There is a midterm election in November. And are you going to raise rates to slow down the economy? Because that's what you're trying to do: slow down the economy. Going into an election that won't be good for the sitting party. Yeah, that 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 I think is is. One of the things that isn't often taken into account but should be is the political angle right. to this. I mean, and, the, and, they're, they're, and they're not supposed to be, as you right, know. Right, but they're, they're human to be beings, too. Political, right. Right, yeah. they're human beings, too. And they've got to know that any rate increases are more likely to make people personally not happy with their economic situation. And when people are not personally happy with their economic situation, that's when they tend to vote out the party in power, and we're already looking at what's shaping up to be potentially a big Republican year. And obviously, there are so many factors that go into that that we just don't know what are we sitting almost eight months outside of the election. But this is something that also has to factor into the equation as well. I mean, one of the oldest truths, I think, Dave, is that it's easy to establish inflation, but it's real hard to get it in check. Yes. And I think the the question is, can it be held in check at this point? I mean, there are people who I think reasonably have their doubts. You know, when we talked about transitory and, and on your show uh, on, on WISN, I certainly talked about that a lot, is that this term transitory was kind of, I would chuckle at it, but well, now, of course, they've killed that term uh, and said that we're going to retire the term transitory. Because you look at the definition of it, the stuff that's transitory is supply chain. I agree with that. In some way, that works its way through the chips ultimately get uh, the equipment comes off of it. It gets set across the country. That is uh, give, giving some relief to the supply chain. But what isn't transitory are higher wages and higher rents. That is a more permanent and stickier situation. So will it ultimately uh, reduce? Yeah, maybe in 24 months, maybe the demand slows down and maybe the supply chain works itself out. But you certainly are going to have higher prices, higher wages. And wage inflation is a real issue for employers who are under pressure, not only from uh, supply side and getting and getting their products out, but now from the wage side as well. And that hurts earnings. And that's the reason why, Dan, if you go through your portfolio and you go, why do I own this? I mean, am I in the right spots? Obviously, energy was in a totally unloved sector and now is is rallying. And by the way, just a sidebar real quickly, you know, who's not in, uh, who's not buying oil stocks and not, who is not participating are, is ESG, particularly Russia, because they fail on the E, the S and the G, right? And so all of that says, you know, how do the ESG investments who are, who are really boxed in, how are they going to invest in energy? But lastly, why do you own it and how much are you paying for it? And those are the things that people need to, to realize as they go forward. I'm Dan O'Donnell for Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex. Thanks for listening to The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. 
The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.